This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is the Tuesday night of Tennessee Week 2019. That means it's time once again for Tide Talk with Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com. Joined, as always, by Team Insider and Beat Reporter Charlie Potter on a Tuesday night. Charlie, fresh from College Station, Texas, where the Alabama Crimson Tide improved to 6-0 and on the at the midway point. I almost said the young season, man. It's already the midway point, Charlie. I can't hardly believe that. How was the trip, first of all? I, I need to ask you about that because you drive that baby. And... Um, you know, that's a that's that, that's a pretty big mountain to, to sort of climb there. Yeah, um, yeah, I drove. My, my wife usually goes with me to a lot of the, the games around the SEC. That, that's nice that she can do that. But um, instead of you know paying for two plane tickets, one that's not reimbursed, uh, we just we make the drive, and it's not that bad of a drive because you get to basically stop in New Orleans for lunch, and nobody's gonna you know argue about that. But it does kind of take the the life out of you a little bit to begin the week. Um, you feel like you're playing catch up just in terms of sleep and, and energy, and um, you know the good news is with Saturday's game you can sleep in a little and uh, try to recoup. But it's been busy this week, not only with with football and everything going on there, but you know, you got basketball. It's basically, it's not starting up this week, but the tide tip off is on Friday. You have uh, interviews on Wednesday morning, Wednesday night or evening, I guess you should say. In Birmingham is SEC Media Day, so it's it's getting to that point of the year where everything starts to converge together. And yeah, I mean, you know, I was just mentioning it earlier today that I can't believe that you know we're seven weeks into this season. Uh, it's halfway over. We only have six more regular season games to cover. Uh, it, it seems like just yesterday we were talking about. You know, going over to Atlanta for the Duke game. It's crazy how you know how slow the off season trickles by, and then when the season gets here, man, it it just takes off like a rocket. It absolutely does, and I know we did our grades for both the Texas A and M game um, Sunday night, Monday morning, there on the website BamaOnline.com. Uh, we also did some midseason grades, just more letter grades from that standpoint. We won't go position by position, but maybe an area or two on each side of the ball that we'll hit on before we start getting into the practice week for Tennessee and looking ahead to late night with the Crimson Tide uh, at Bryant-Denny Stadium coming up on Saturday night. Um, Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Let's talk about, in your opinion, one area of this team that maybe has taken shape a little bit differently than – we might have thought even back in the spring compared to what we saw in the spring on the offensive side of the ball, one area of that offense that looks a good bit different than what it did say on a day in mid April. Yeah. I think for me, it, it has to be the offensive line. You know, um, we saw pretty much what a lot of people were predicting, um, you know, back in, um, you know, the, the weeks, the months after the season, uh, I think I've mentioned it a few times how, 
you know, at the Senior Bowl, you asked, or we asked um, Ross Piercebaker what he thought the offensive line would be, and he was pretty much in consensus with everybody else. There'd be Alex Leatherwood kicking over to left tackle, and then you'd have some combination of Emil Echior, Chris Owens, Matt Womack, and then Jedrick Will stepping back in at, at right tackle where he started last year. And uh, that was kind of what we saw for pretty much most of spring. Uh, if my memory serves correctly, that's kind of how they, they ended things. I know Jedrick Wills had um, you know, a little bit of an injury in the spring. He wasn't anything major, but you knew he was going to be a starter in, in the fall. And, and now you look here getting ready for week eight, and uh, that interior is completely different. Uh, the tackles – Everybody knew that that was kind of going to be the case with Leatherwood and Wills. But, you know, Chris Owens has been dealing with a little bit of a knee injury. He didn't, um, you know, play this past weekend at Texas A&M. We've seen Landon Dickerson at center. We've seen, um, you know, Evan Neal go coast to coast from week one to, to week eight at, at left guard. And we saw Deontay Brown, now that he's eligible again, he started last week at Texas A&M. And I think that, if there's any sort of question about Chris Owens' health, uh, I think we'll see that same line. And it has, was arguably Alabama's best line. You know, they kept Tua Tonga by a little clean in College Station. The running game was successful. We saw a lot of, you know, pulling from those guys. We saw uh, an effective group in running the football and, and keeping your quarterback upright. And, you know, if, if Chris Owens doesn't get healthy soon, I'm, I'm afraid he might not have a job just because – they like what Landon Dickerson does at center. They like the beef they have up front and the push they can get. And it's a solid group. So I think for me, what is different than what we expected maybe at the beginning of the season during the preseason, or maybe the spring, it has to be the offensive line. What's one area that you thought this offense might look differently uh, once we got into the season that actually has kind of held its – held its form. I mean, we knew that quarterback was going to be what it's been. We knew the wide receiver rotation, at least the top four guys, was going to be what it was going to be. What about running back, though? There was this sort of undercurrent, this narrative that, look, you know, Najee Harris is the former five-star, the former top back in the country, but it's actually going to be his classmate, Brian Robinson, who's going to overtake Harris and become that top back in this Alabama offense. Was, was that something that you anticipated or is it kind of played out the way that now I, I expected Najee to be the guy, but I, what about you? Did, did, did you see it going this way? I thought, um, you know, Brian Robinson would be a good compliment, but I think uh, I, I'm not saying he's Derrick Henry by any stretch, but I think um, Najee Harris has those characteristics of the back that you can just lean on. Um, obviously that's not going to be entirely the case in this offense because of Tua and these receivers. Um, you know, you just can't take the ball out of their hands all the time. And, um, that's, that's just, that wouldn't be smart. And they, they haven't done that. I think Steve Sarkeesian's done a good job of calling this offense, but you know, even he on, on media day, that, that first or second day of, of preseason camp, um, you know, talked about how they could lean on Najee Harris to some extent. They wanted to you know, see what they had from Brian Robinson and he was going to be a factor. And I think, you know, before the injury, even a guy like Trey Sanders could have been, but um, you know, we've seen that, that Najee Harris is the clear number one. They've used Brian Robinson, um, you know, all over the place, but he's really been in that short yardage back. And uh, I think they've, they've done well in the running game. They've progressively gotten better. Um, I think one of the things that we were talking about most of the, the off season is who was going to be that number three back. And I think had something not happened to, to Trey, uh, Trey Sanders with the foot injury in the preseason, I think he could have been, you know, more of a, 
uh, a point of emphasis of this offense. But yeah, it's been those two and primarily Najee Harris. And I think that's kind of what a lot of us envision entering the season. Yeah, Trey Sanders, it's easy to forget about him, even though he was basically the top running back recruit for the class of 2019, more so because he was injured so early in camp. You know, that that was such a, a blow early in camp, and it kind of paved the way for some others that, that followed, uh, as we know, in the, in the weeks that followed uh, that injury to Trey Sanders. But you're right, you are left to wonder, you know, what he would look like in this offense, as dynamic as he is, a little bit different type of back from Najee Harris and Brian Robinson. You know, Keelan Robinson's given them some of that. Have you been surprised a little bit here lately? We really haven't seen Jerome Ford or Keelan Robinson. Didn't see any of those guys uh, this past Saturday for sure at A&M, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me too too much. Um, We have seen Keelan Robinson's kind of had uh, one of his hands wrapped up pretty good. And I, I think that um, the, the size of the wrap has diminished uh, over the course of the weeks. But that's something that um, has kind of stood out in looking at him. But, yeah, I mean, um, you know, for Alabama, they're looking to to really be balanced. And I just don't think there's just a ton of opportunities for the running backs. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know where you give the carries whenever you have yeah. Najee Harris and, and Brian Robinson splitting the load. But, you know, Jerome Ford's done some good things. Um, and Keelan Robinson has definitely shown that, that he's a speedster. I just think that, you know, if in, a, in a perfect world for Alabama, um, you know, they would have had Trey Sanders in that number three spot. I, I don't think they anticipated these guys having – um, very big roles, and they're they're more than happy to roll with the two big guys they have uh, in yeah, Harrison Robinson. No doubt. And look, there, there's not a lot of carries for Najee and Brian Robinson most weeks. I mean, we've seen Alabama in a couple of SEC games, you know, 19 carries between those two guys, 15 carries between those two guys. I mean, 30 this past Saturday at Texas A&M. That's that's easily the most they've combined for. Uh, uh, in SEC play for sure, uh, and you combine that with what they did in the passing game, their touches were up a good bit uh, against the Aggies, and both were really effective uh, from that standpoint. Defensively, I guess that's where we sort of anticipated um, you know, the potential for a lot of activity on that two deep. But what we didn't anticipate were the injuries. Uh, Dylan Moses, Josh McMillan, uh, LeBron Ray, uh, you know, even if those guys, if those guys are healthy, Charlie, which of these young guys that we're seeing now would we be seeing the most? I mean, obviously, we've seen Christian Harris and Shane Lee a ton. We've seen Byron Young and we've seen uh, what we, we've seen uh, Justin Aboibe a lot. But, you know, DJ Dale looked like he had already made his move back in the spring. Um, maybe Jordan Battle on the back end would still be a big part of things. How many of these guys do you think? six games into the season with a healthy Moses, McMillan, uh, LeBron Ray, how many of these guys are really as involved or even nearly as involved as they have been? Yeah, I think DJ Dale and and Jordan Battle would still obviously be in the positions they're in, but I don't know how much of the inside backers we see. Um, I think they felt good about Shane Lee and Christian Harris, but I think they're obviously playing much more than they anticipated. Um, I think that, Byron Young and, and Justin Boyby would have been still those kind of first guys off the bench. Um, you know, LeBron Ray is a guy that still is going to be out for a couple weeks with that foot injury. And, uh, you know, we saw in the spring 
Um, you know, Justin Boyby seemed like he was making a move just like DJ Dale, maybe not quite to that extent because he had two veterans in front of him at both the defensive end spots, but I think they felt good about him. And then, you know, Byron Young um, is a player that, you know, even before he got on campus, he was expecting to, to contribute. So I think the, the reserve defensive ends would have been just that reserves. And we've seen kind of a good rotation, a healthy rotation on the defensive line. So I'd go with the defensive lineman. I just don't know outside of maybe special teams roles. Um, you know, how much we've seen of, of 35 and 8 at the middle at defensive, especially, um, you know, with, with Dylan Moses healthy. I think if if Dylan Moses um, was able to play, uh, there's not much or very many scenarios. I don't see, you know, 32 on the field every play for that defense. Um, you know, maybe you kind of mix them in a little bit with McMillan just to get them some some opportunities. Uh, we've kind of seen that recently with guys like Markel Benton and Ali Kaho, but um, yeah, it, it's tough for me to envision, you know, number 32 coming off the field if he was healthy. Yeah, in a lot of ways, uh, you knew he was going to impact that defense as a signal caller. I mean, we're seeing Xavier McKinney, right, basically calling the shots a lot of times from the safety position. So um, that's obviously not ideal. So many of these young guys, especially at inside linebacker, sort of baptism by fire. I think best describes it uh, from that standpoint. Seeing some positives, though, you know, I thought once um, they got their feet under them a little bit last Saturday at A&M, Charlie uh, settled in and played some pretty good defensive football. Yeah, I thought so, too. Obviously, that that first drive is not ideal. Uh, I think, though, with with those young players, that's kind of bound to happen. You're going to have to kind of. You see what the, the offense is going to throw at you. Go back to the sideline, make your adjustments, and, and settle down a little bit. And then, um, you know, they they did that. They were able to play better. Uh, I thought outside of that first drive, which was 15 plays, 75 yards, it took up more than eight minutes. And, um, you know, AM was able to score a touchdown to open the game. They really settled down and played better. And then, you know, later in the game was whenever you actually saw Kellen Mond break free with his legs a little bit. But that was – you know, too little, too late for the for the Aggies. Um, you know, that was a, a couple of mistakes up front. I think, you know, a guy like Christian Barmore, who's shown some flashes, kind of zigged when he should have zagged, and that opened things up for them. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think overall this offense is getting – or this defense is getting better. Um, you, you knew it was going to take some time just because of the injuries they incurred and how many young players they are playing. But I think, you know, to do what they did for most of the game, and uh, I'm, I'm obviously – really <laughs> laying on that caveat heavily, but I, I think they did a pretty good job for most of the game. Um, you know, there's still things they want to improve you know, at the midway point of the season, but I think they're showing more signs of life and, and looking more like an Alabama defense, but there's, there's a long way to go. You know, I asked Nick Saban how he would assess this defense you know, through the first six games, basically at the midway point of the regular season. And he said that he doesn't think that they played as well as they, they would like to play like, they typically do. They've given up more points and more yards, and that is apparent. But just in the snippet of the three SEC games, they've gotten better and better. Uh, they've gotten off the field, which I think is where they needed to start. And uh, I think those freshmen are coming into their own. They're simplifying things. And I think those veterans like McKinney and, and Anthony Jennings are doing a good job to help them out. So, yeah, I think they're they're slowly but surely uh, getting better. And I think you know these next two games and bye week will help them continue to do that. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, I mean, until these young guys are able to stop swimming mentally, you have to just look at a couple areas and hope that Alabama can be efficient. Third downs, you know, getting off the field, uh, and red zone efficiency on defense, forcing field goals instead of giving up touchdowns. And they did have a couple of stretches, not consistent enough. But again, there's reasons for that. Uh, But they did have some stretches of that. Uh, against Texas A&M last Saturday. It is a Tuesday night Tide Talk with Charlie Potter, the beat reporter and team insider for BamaOnline.com. I'm Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL. Uh, you're listening to the Built by Bama Online podcast feed, which if you haven't subscribed to it yet, we certainly hope you'll do that. Uh, leave us a review while you're there, if you don't mind. You can find the podcast pretty much anywhere uh, podcasts are aggregated, I guess you could say, whether it's iTunes, Megaphone, uh, you name it. You're going to find the Built by Bama online podcast, and we certainly appreciate you tuning in with us on a Tuesday night. Uh, what about special teams, Charlie? Uh, so much talk about Will Reichard, the true freshman specialist coming in. He was here in the spring. We saw some good things from him in the spring game on A-Day. Saw, some, saw a little bit of up and down with the uh, place kicking uh, early in the season. Then he has the injury with the hip flexor. Uh, He's been out now, didn't kick at Texas A&M, coming off the bye week. Uh, It's kind of up in the air, I guess, right now as to whether or not we'll see him against Tennessee Saturday night. Who knows uh, at this point. But, um, you know, his impact on the kicking game, I guess, at least least initially, and how things have sort of – fallen out following this hip flexor injury yeah I think um you know with Will just in terms of his status I think he's close to being back um you know a a really telltale sign of that is he traveled to College Station and they only traveled four total specialists those being Thomas Fletcher the long snapper Scholar along the punter uh Joseph Bulovos the place kicker and then Riker and um you know there was no walk-ons that went and I think if if it push came to shove, say something happened to DeLong or to, to Bulvos, I think they could have used him in an emergency situation. I just don't think they wanted to rush him back. And, and that's smart with the, the injury that he has and the position that he plays. But, yeah, I think he's had a big impact on special teams. Um, you know, I think Joseph Bulvos has done an okay job. Um, you know, he, he missed an extra point uh, on Saturday, and extra points have kind of been – um, uh, a little bit of a, a thorn in his side, yeah, yeah. For, for the for the Louisiana native, and uh, and those are those are chip shots, and I know that's something that the Nick Saban doesn't want to see, but they'll get Riker back soon enough. But the, the more interesting position for me is is punter, just because Scott Along has been very inconsistent. Um, he hasn't done that great of a job, and uh, you know Riker is is um, I think an average punter, maybe an above average punter. 
But you know, it's it's surprising to me that with the injury to to Reichard and the continued inconsistency from Delon, they maybe haven't gone with a Mike Bernier, maybe another walk on. Will that change this weekend if Reichard can't go, or maybe they just want to you know ease him back into his responsibilities with place kicking? Remains to be seen. We don't really see much from the place kickers at practice or anything like that. So um, that might be something Nick Saban gets asked about. Um, you know, Wednesday during the teleconference, his uh, post practice press conference or maybe even the radio show who knows but um I, I think that they just need to find some kind of consistency in the punting game uh, i don't know if we'll even see the punter on saturday i don't mm. i don't anticipate seeing uh, alabama's offense struggle too much uh, with tennessee but you never know these rivalry games what can happen but yeah i think just the presence of of will reichard has is, is helped out special teams i know they want to get him back healthy as soon as possible this was the game a year ago where mike bernier made his debut uh, they were coming off the homecoming win over missouri i think delong had a 12 or 14 yard shank in that game and the switch was made so uh yeah we'll see uh, how they go about that going through going into the second half of the regular season uh charlie let's talk about this week let's talk about uh the first couple of days of the practice week uh, the media viewing periods that we've been out to on each of the last two days. I think from a health perspective, all things considered, and I know Alabama fans, when I say this, they're going to collectively knock on the nearest piece of wood <laughs> about a thousand times. Alabama came out of the A&M game in pretty good health, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Um, the only two even you know bumps or bruises that I can recall are to Jalen Waddle, who, who hurt his elbow, uh, trying to make a tackle on Tua Tonga-Vailoa's first interception of the season. Uh, yeah, he went to the locker room before uh, halftime, and but he was able to return, and he's kind of had a, a, a brace on his elbow throughout practice. But outside of taking things a little easy on Monday, he was back to, to full go uh, on Tuesday. The same goes for Miller Forrestal. He looked like he uh, banged up his leg a little bit in the game, uh, was slow to get off the field, but was able to return. And you know, he was leading the charge for the tight ends when they were running routes with the quarterbacks today. So that's always a good sign. But other than that, uh, um, I think the, the biggest injury and a lot of people were wondering about uh, is to Chris Owens, the center. Um, you know, he looked like he was a full participant, at least while we were out there today, but he was still working with the second team. So um, the, the fans that are holding their breath and maybe wanting to see Landon Dickerson and Deontay Brown for a second uh, game in a row. As of Tuesday, that looked like that was going to be the case, but you know things can always change. I think Wednesday, um, you know, we know that's kind of the telltale day for for injuries. And if um, you know Chris Owens is able to go, maybe he's back with the ones. Who knows? We'll, we'll see and, and continue to report on that Wednesday. But yeah, I mean, it is. Other than some some nicks, we've seen you know guys like Josh Job still has a cast on his hand and. Uh, the usual suspects are, are still out there with, with braces and things, but but nothing too out of the ordinary. And for a team that was, you know, played by injuries early in the season, even before the season started, I think you'll take that at the midway point of the year. Yeah, I know, too, uh, you guys were able to catch up with him, I believe, on Monday. And the topic of the slant pass keeps coming up. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I'm not saying Tua is to the point of being over it, but I, I think it's pretty clear that Tua and his guys welcome opposing defenses that want to focus and make taking away that so simple. It's just so simple, you know. I mean, you watch it on television. How hard can it be, right? Uh, just take away the slant, Charlie, and you can slow down this Alabama offense, right? 
that's probably easier said than done uh, because you take away the, the short intermediate passing game and then the deep ball opens up a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting because that was kind of a, a bit of frustration he showed after the game Saturday. Um, you know, player interviews were pretty brief just because they have to get up on the bus and then get on a plane and get back home. They have a tight schedule. But um, he was asked a simple question. I think it was actually a Crimson White reporter, which is the student newspaper uh, at the University of Alabama, just kind of asked him about the slants because they have had so much success about that or with that. And uh, it, it kind of showed just how much maybe two has heard about that and maybe people saying and, and people that are evaluating his game, whether it's for the next level or maybe for the Heisman Trophy postseason, um, you know, award consideration. I think that that's kind of a knock on him that he's seen a lot of his uh, success just with quick passes and then his receivers are, are turning into big games. And, you know, his message for people that say that's weak and things like that, he, he said, you got to stop it. And no one's really found a, a way to do that. And I think, you know, to, to his credit, um, it, it's one thing to throw a bunch of slants. Any quarterback could do that and just nickel and dime their way up and down the field. But Tua is deadly accurate with those slants. He throws um, the ball on his receivers and stride to where they can make those plays. And you're not everybody, not every quarterback can do that. So I think that's more of a testament to him and um, the receivers as well, the success they have, the rapport they have, and what they're able to do. But, yeah, it was it was really interesting to see him. He wasn't, you know – too fired up and made a big deal about it but you could tell it's something he's maybe a little bit tired of hearing and uh yeah i mean that's something that um was was interesting after the post game in a, in a setting where we didn't really have much time with the players afterwards yeah you know we we go into the media viewing periods and they practice those slants you know what else they practice double moves called sluggos where yeah. they slant and go you so yeah again i think we saw it what southern miss came up and tried to stop a slant and Henry Ruggs, I think slant and goaded it. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the other side of that deal. And, uh, it just seems to be a sort of growing drum beat with Tua that it's all, oh, it's these receivers, you know, and, and look, no one is saying that these four receivers might not be the top quartet of our, of my lifetime. Uh, and, and certainly of your lifetime. I mean, I'm an old fart. I'm, I'm twice <laughs> as old as Charlie. And I can tell you, in my 50 years, I, I haven't seen a quartet of receivers like this. Um, but I think you touched on it. You know, Tua does some things that are pretty subtle uh, that make their lives uh, a lot easier and allow them to showcase those great talents that they have. Uh, it is very much uh, one hand uh, taking care, washing the other. You know, they 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 take care of each other uh, pretty well. It, it's it's not a uh, uh, it's not a situation where there's a great discrepancy in terms of value. Uh, the, both sides of that deal are immensely valuable. And uh, look, Tuatanga Vailoa, you put him at LSU, you put him at Oklahoma, you put him at Texas, you put him at some of these other places. Tua is going to put up similar, if not the same type of numbers, because you know what those other places have too? they have talented people around the quarterback position. Kind of makes sense that, you know, the teams that are in the top five, Ohio State, you know, that are quarterback uh, noteworthy. It's not just a quarterback position. They got dudes at other uh, positions as well. So here we go. We look forward to Tennessee on Saturday. But, you know, like we said earlier, uh, got some hoops coming up, Charlie. I uh, see where the Alabama Crimson Tide, I guess, picked sixth in the Southeastern Conference in the uh, preseason poll that was released on 
Tuesday. How does that sound to you? Yeah, that's where I voted them. Um, you know, I think I'm one of a couple um, beat writers here in Tuscaloosa that votes on that. Um, I feel like I've been covering this team forever now. I started, that was my first beat as a student reporter. So I get um, awarded by getting to, to vote on things. So uh, I voted them sixth also. And, uh, you know, the, the top six or seven was about how I had it. And it, it's tough to, to, you know, pick these things. But um, I think with just the kind of new life has been um, you know, breathe into this program. I think these guys are going to play an exciting brand of basketball. I think a guy like Kyra Lewis is is going to thrive in this offense. I think some of the shooters they have, guys like John Petty and, and Alex Reese, are, are also going to uh, have a field day. Um, it'll be it'll be nice if Alabama can you know hear and get word that maybe a Javon Quinterly is cleared, but you know they've yeah. done all their necessary paperwork for that and just wait on the NCAA. Uh, we'll hear from from NATO a, a couple times this week, and we'll see what the latest is with that. But as of right now, it's still pending. Um, you know, a couple injuries to guys like you know James Rojas and Jawan Garrius, never what you want to see. But you know, adding a guy like Javon Quinterly to this roster, um, I, I think would would definitely be a pick me up for some some bad news they've had recently. But yeah, I mean, sixth. That's about right. Middle of the pack, first year for Nate Oates. Um, you know, we'll see what they can do. His his expectation though is, you know, with the the resources and the players that they have, um, there's no reason that Alabama shouldn't be in the NCAA tournament each year because this is a league that can get you know six, seven, eight teams in every year. So um, if that's the case, if they you know match their ranking, then they'll be back in the tournament, and um, you know people will be happy and. Um, We'll, we'll see, um, you know, tomorrow with practice, SEC media days coming up with Todd Tip off Friday. We'll see what they look like. Yeah, you know, in addition to returning a, a very important player like Kyra Lewis and Herb Jones, John Petty, um, the guys that we know they bring back, uh, there must be a, a pretty healthy respect for what Nate Oates did at Buffalo to see Alabama. I think that's about right. I'm with you. I, I, I would probably have Alabama at sixth in the preseason, uh, but still going through a coaching change, you usually see programs that are doing that take a little bit of a hit from the preseason perspective, you know, and kind of the expectations for year one under a head coach. It doesn't seem like a lot of folks in the media, at least have those sort of reservations about NATOs, do they? No, they don't. Uh, you know, a lot of people just in, in looking at basketball Twitter, some some guys from a national perspective, uh, there were people that were putting up early tw- top 25s that had Alabama ranked there. Uh, I think some of that, that maybe has died down a little bit. I think a couple of injuries have, have quelled that a little bit. But I think a lot of people have high expectations for this team. And, uh, yeah, it goes to what Nate Oates and his staff were able to do at Buffalo. And I think the, the type of offense that they bring and the, the players that he inherits – has a lot to do with that. He also has a lot of talented newcomers. Um, you know, tomorrow morning we're supposed to hear uh, from from NATOs and a couple of players, and one of those players is uh, Beetle Bolden, the the transfer from West Virginia. And he's a guy that is arguably the best shooter on this team already. Just walking in, they they add uh, some playmakers like him. Some of the freshman guys like Jaden Shackelford, um, you know, have, have turned a lot of heads. And I think if they can get Quinterly. Uh, eligible that just adds to the talent they have so it, it's a talented roster it's one that I'm really interested to see how he goes about with the rotation but yeah I mean I think 
guys like Kyra Lewis, Herb Jones, John Petty that have been around this league and, and guys that, that you know have promising futures. And I think there's a lot to like about this Alabama basketball team, and we'll see if they're able to you know meet those expectations in the court this season. You fired up, Charlie, about the light show at Bryant-Denny Stadium <laughs> Saturday night, the rave that will probably commence there in the student section, maybe disco night for some of the folks that are my age. You know, we can start some themes with this thing, can't we? I'm, I'm looking forward to it just because um, I feel like we've been talking about it forever. And then <laughs> you had the whole trend of Alabama plays nothing but day games. And, you know, you're sitting here week eight, the third Saturday in October, and that's the first night game Alabama has. So, um, you know, they got their wish, though. It's the, it's the late uh, slot, eight o'clock uh, kickoff. I know the, the folks from Knoxville, the guys that cover uh, Tennessee up there, especially the guys from 24-7, they're not that thrilled about a, a 9 p.m. Eastern time kick but yeah i'm excited to, to be in a night game cooler weather and to see you know what greg Byrne and this athletic department have been you know teasing on social media for a while i think he actually put out a tweet tonight with um you know testing the lights and, and practicing for saturday and uh, i know some of the players are excited for it i'll have a story up on that later this week just with of their thoughts probably in a notebook or something like that but they're excited fans are excited and, and it should be you know, a lot of fun just to see how it all plays out and what they do with it. Hopefully, though, this new lines, maybe they'll change the playlist in the stadium because I think it's something for maybe 2007 or something like that. Yeah, I think Hey Ya is still in there. And, <laughs> There's uh, nothing wrong with Outcast, but yeah, they need to mix it up a little. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we don't have Outcast anymore, so we have to kind of take what we can get with the fellas from Atlanta. But, you know, I want some comfortably numb by Pink Floyd at some point. I, I think we need that. Maybe some uh, Grateful Dead, some drums in space. You know, I've got ideas. I'm an idea guy, Charlie. I'm not so much on execution sometimes, but ideas, man, I can uh, can come up with, with all those for you. Well, Charlie, as always, great stuff here on Tide Talk on a Tuesday night. We do this weekly with Charlie Potter, Team Insider and Beat Reporter for BamaOnline.com. We'll have continuing coverage Throughout the week, as we get you ready for the third Saturday in October, not to rain on anybody's parade, but it's actually the Arkansas weekend that's going to be a lot, a lot, of, a lot of fun because you're going to have Alabama Georgia Tech basketball at noon on that Sunday after the homecoming Saturday here on the Capstone. But hey, look, bring your cigars this weekend. You'll probably be able to light them up in the third quarter, and uh, you know it'll it'll be a good time. It always is in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Thanks a lot, Charlie. All right, man. Always good to catch up. Yeah, Charlie Potter does just a tremendous job for us there at BamaOnline.com. Thank you again for tuning in to Tide Talk on a Tuesday night. As always, the podcast available to you, the Built by Bama Online podcast, available to you wherever you do your podcasting. We're there for you. We'd appreciate the subscription. Uh, We'll do it again with Charlie next Tuesday night. Keep it locked until then. Right there at BamaOnline.com for continuing coverage of all things Crimson Tide. Travis Schreier thanking you again. We'll talk to you again real soon. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.